We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, Chargers fans? Welcome back to the Guilty as Charged podcast. This is Tyler, and today we're talking about a couple of things. We're going to talk about the recent COVID-19 training camp news situation and whatnot, or at least as much as we know so far. Uh, Steven has an interview with Johnny Lunsford, who covers the Ohio State Buckeyes. And then we're going to get into the Keenan Allen contract situation. Obviously, he's staying with the team this year, but what does his outlook look like next season? Will they retain him? Will they let him walk? Do they have anybody on the roster who's going to replace him? The answer is no. But anyway, let's get right into it. But before we get into it, of course, I have to introduce the oneses and the onlyses, and that is Jason and Steven. Jason, how is Texas? And Steven, how is your wife's birthday? Oh, I'm first. Um, Texas is as great as ever. I love it here. I'm, I'm so happy here. Um, yeah, that's, all, that's about all to talk about, so move on. Nice, dude. Nice. I hope you have a good little vacation there. Uh, Brooke's birthday was great, man. We just did a little fun celebration for her at her parents' house and played some, uh, I forget what it's called. It's some kind of Frisbee game, Can Jam or something like that. Uh, but it was good. Yeah. By the way, I'm never coming back. Bye, guys. Sorry. <laughs> California's <laughs> dead fine. to me. We're doing this via Zoom. I've never met any of you guys. So that works out no problem. Either way, I'm probably not going to travel because of COVID-19. There's my segue. So, COVID-19 training camp news. I'm just going to read this from an ESPN article. I apologize. In the memo sent to 32 NFL teams, Commissioner Roger... Roger? Who the heck is Roger? Roger Goodell wrote that clubs could begin using their facilities starting Tuesday, provided they meet a pre-established set of protocols and have permission under state and local regulations. The first group of employees allowed back into facilities would include no more than 50% of non-player staff, up to a total of 75 per day. So here's the big one. The only players permitted to return would be those who were already rehabilitating injuries prior to the facility closures, and no members of the coaching staff are allowed in the facility. So I guess you're looking at guys like, I don't know, if, depending on how their injuries have held over, but like Mike Williams, Forrest Lamp, Mike Pouncey, maybe Derwin James, maybe Jerry Tillery. I don't know what they were dealing with. Um, so what do you guys make of this news? It's not extremely significant but it's at least a nice step in the right direction towards getting football back this fall what do you guys make of this situation so far yeah that and the news from governor newsom today that uh he's potentially allowing pro sports back uh as soon as i think it was july 1st first week of june i thought he said okay first week of june my mistake um but this is just all good news like tyler said it's you know it's a good step in the right direction we all want football season to happen 
we're all hoping that we can go to some games and actually have a, a fan presence. I think football without fans would be kind of weird. Um, but this is just a, a good step in the right direction. Um, hopefully basketball season, season can have some kind of closure. We can see you know, LeBron in the playoffs and that kind of situation. Hopefully we can get football season uh, back on track and, and you know have training camp start when it's supposed to start, have the season, and have a full season. I think this is a, a good step in that direction. Yeah, I mean, so the deal was that early June sports would open with no fans, I think was the was the decision there. And so I can't see, like, a why not with training camp. There's no fans there. I mean, obviously they open it up sometimes. I don't think they would hear this offseason. I'm pretty sure it's going to be closed. Um, but I can see training camp being a go as long as pro sports are open with no fans. Um which, I mean, is, is good news, especially for these, this rookie class, uh, not just for the Chargers, but for any team out there. You want these rookies to be successful. And um, if training camp was not available to them, or, for example, if training camp was not available to only California teams, that is a huge disadvantage right. to those California teams or those rookies in general. Um, so it's good to see that there is now an opportunity for those guys to get going, um, even albeit limited. Right. Yeah, I think especially the rookie class, like you mentioned, and it's going to be a very big disadvantage if there's no training camp. You know, that those are really reps that players need, and not just the rookie class. Like Tyler mentioned, Jerry Tillery. Jerry Tillery didn't have a full offseason last year, and now he's not having a full offseason this year either, and that kind of time is just crucial for player development. So, you know, this is a good step in the right direction. Hopefully players can get back on the field and get back working together. Like Justin Herbert hasn't met any of his guys he hasn't met Austin Eckler he hasn't met Keenan Allen so you know that chemistry needs to start building and you know this is a good step in the right direction yeah absolutely I believe Herbert's been is it weightlifting or working out with some of the guys no I don't think it was Eckler or Allen but a couple of guys I, he's talked about meeting up with Allen to throw over the next coming weeks we, we don't know if he ha- has actually done that yet Awesome. Right on. All right. So let's move on to that interview. Steven's got the interview. Can you tell us a little bit more about that before we listen to it? Yeah. So his name is Johnny Lunsford. Uh, he covers the Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, his podcast is called The Scarlet and Great. I uh, just wanted to pick his brain on, on KJ Hill. And and then also we talked a little bit about Joey Bosa and, and that comparison that the three of us had on our podcast about Joey versus Nick versus Chase Young. So a lot of good information from Johnny and I uh, hope you guys really like it. All right, let's take a listen. Hey, Chargers fans, Stephen here today. Uh, happy to, to be joined by Johnny Lunsford of the Scarlet and Great podcast covering the Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, thanks for joining us, Johnny, and how are you doing? Very good, Steve. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. You know, the the Chargers have had some recent Buckeyes that they've had the, the pleasure to draft, and most recently, uh, KJ Hill, the wide receiver. Just kind of talk about uh, where KJ Hill has has placed himself amongst Buckeye receivers, you know they've had some really good receivers over the past few years, especially the you know the success that they've had of translating to the NFL is unparalleled. You know, especially with guys like Michael Thomas and Terry McLaurin and even Paris Campbell. So where do, where does KJ Hill rank in terms of Ohio State receivers for you? Not necessarily rank, but just kind of talk about his legacy as an Ohio State receiver. Yeah, well, first and foremost. Uh, the way I think he cemented his place at Ohio State was, for those that don't know, he uh, is the all-time receptions leader at Ohio State, history right. of the school. So you talk about guys like Ted Ginn, Mike Thomas, David Boston, so on and so forth. Uh, K.J. Hill has more catches than all of them. You know, there's kind of a caveat to it. He had three solid years of production, right? So you have all that kind of stuff playing into it. But he is uh, a guy that was just always there, always available. Like I said, since he was a sophomore, he was able to get playing time and be an asset in the passing game. Uh, he's a really, really smart player that uh, we will miss, certainly. And uh, a guy that kind of flies under the radar because he's never the best athlete in the room. I think part of right. the reason why he's he fell to the seventh round, which we can talk more about that later. I think you actually, you you have a steal in KJ Hill with that value, but 
he is a guy that uh, consistently can get separation, consistently get catches, and honestly, uh, a guy, if you think about it, three different quarterbacks threw him the ball, JT Barrett, and he was in in more of a short passing game, run first offense, and then you had Dwayne Haskins with the air raid, 50 touchdown passes, let it fly, and then you had Justin Fields with the extremely, you know, big arm, good legs, but a young young, uh, quarterback that they had to protect behind a strong run game. KJ Hill thrived in all three systems. So his his name will be floating around uh Buckeye folklore for a long time. Yeah, it was really impressive to watch him, especially, you know, this past year with Justin Fields. And and I'm really excited personally to see how he learns from Keenan Allen because Keenan Allen is very similar. You know, they're not the best athletes. Keenan's a little taller, but you know, they make their you know, they make people pay because of their route running and separation ability. Yeah, that's the huge thing with KJ. Uh, I actually talked to his old wide receiver coach uh, today uh, at Ohio State, and you know the thing that he always talks about is, yeah, KJ is not going to light it up on the forty time, but what tests? What's his gets open time? Right? What? How do you measure right. just getting flat open? And he said his agility, his ability to change direction is just unparalleled. I it wanna I, I've even heard him say that they used to tease him in the wide receiver room about his lack of straight line speed, you know, compared to the rest of them. You know, you guys got you got guys like Paris Campbell, you know, who are uh sub, you know, they're four three and a little bit of change guys. But even Mike Thomas was a four six something guy. Some people don't need the speed but have a great ability to just change direction and manipulate their defenders and get open. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I kind of want to go back and touch on the point that you made about the three quarterbacks and three different systems that he's played for at Ohio State. And obviously, you know, he had a, a coaching transition too with Urban Meyer to to Ryan Day. So as a receiver, in, was he really affected by the by the coaching change, by the system change? Or do you think, what was the biggest adjustment for him, do you think? You know, he, you know, I was told by his coach, uh, his, his former coach who I mentioned, what, that he is super smart. And he, it was so smooth, the transition. Now, part of the caveat was in 2017, when he first came on under JT Barrett, uh, getting catches, Ryan Day, who is now the head coach, was was part of the offense. So he did kind of get kind of the same thought process in the offense through the years, but you he really didn't miss a beat going from one coach and one system to another, which kind of just speaks to his ability. You know, he's very, very intelligent. And um, he, as a guy that is in the slot, and he, he could get vertical, he could get up the seam, but a lot of the shallow routes and stuff was just a, a great safety blanket. So he was the guy that was always there for all three quarterbacks and particularly in the red zone. And I think when you shine in the red zone, you you're going, you know, the quarterback's going to look your way and you're really going to be loud in the production chart because that those short routes really uh that's really his thing. Those short slide routes, the short outs, things were, you know, everything's tied in the red zone. You're not getting 3 yards of separation right. in the red zone. You're getting half a yard and you need to use leverage. Well, he's fantastic with leverage, and that that really speaks to his ability to uh, produce in three different systems. Absolutely, I think KJ Hill, like you said, he's he's going to be a steal for this team. You know, there was a noted story about KJ Hill and his decision to come back, and yeah, I'm I'm not sure if he would have gone earlier last year if he had come out, but I know the evaluation was was very similar. Uh, in terms of his lack of, quote-unquote, lack of natural athleticism, but he's a separator, he creates space. So do you think that he made the right decision to go back to Ohio State to play for uh, another season for the Buckeyes? You know, I don't think it, anything, I don't think he was hurt by anything, by uh, coming back. Uh, and, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. you know, he right. got to... He got to be coached by Brian Hartline, who was an NFL wide receiver, so he gets to get even better. And I don't know that he got any more athletic or you know anything like that over that final year. The only thing I think that 
could have maybe hurt his draft stock is because of quarantine and, you know, social distancing in 2020, he doesn't get a pro day. And a guy like KJ Hill with no combine that uh, with a combine that doesn't knock your socks off needs that pro day to show, you know, the the more private workout to show what he can do. Right. So, yeah, that I mean, but who who the heck would have known? Right. How can you predict that that would have happened? So, uh, you know, you could kind of play devil's advocate and say he would have went higher um, had he came out last year. But. I certainly don't think uh, he, you know, took a step backwards by any means. If anything, you got a a kid that worked in the weight room a year longer at Ohio State before he gets to, you know, step into the rigors of the NFL. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, I think for a lot of players, that senior year is really invaluable, and especially for a guy like KJ Hill who can go in and, and cement his legacy. So you mentioned uh, Brian Hartline, the wide receivers coach, and. and this is kind of a loaded question, I guess, but is he the main guy who gets credit for the development uh, development of the receiver position at Ohio State? Like, because they've had so such a high level of success recently, and you know, is that mostly because of Brian Hartline? Obviously, recruiting helps too. But to what do you attribute that success to? Yeah, I think it all starts with recruiting. Uh, KJ was recruited by the the previous coach before Brian Hartline and Zach Smith and Zach was known as a really good recruiter. He pulled in guys like Mike Thomas, I believe and others. So uh, obviously Ohio state high recruiting standards had a good recruiter there. So he got, uh, uh, and then they did the transition to uh, a Zach or excuse me, a Ryan, a Brian Hartline and Brian Hartline is this no, no, uh, mystery played at Ohio State and in the NFL. He can really develop these guys. And then you get a Ryan Day who anybody who talks to him says, wow, this guy's a really, really smart offensive mind. And he's a quarterback's coach. So, the you know, good quarterback's play is going to shine with good wide receivers. Uh, right. you, you, you couple that with the fact that KJ, as I've said before, is a very intelligent player. Uh so yeah, I think I think it's just a building block, and we've been fortunate at Ohio State to have uh, good recruiters and good position coaches and good head coaches that are offensively minded all throughout the last seven or eight years. All right, well, that's obviously a really good point bringing up the coaching staff, and you know, I, I think recruiting is king in college football, obviously. And you know, Ohio State has had a ton of success in, in other positions as well, and you know, the Chargers have been able to reap those benefits by when they drafted Joey Bosa. We actually had a conversation on our podcast about, you know, ranking Joey and Nick and then Chase Young as prospects. How, how would you differentiate the, the three of those players as NFL prospects, not necessarily as NFL players, but as college players and NFL prospects? Oh man, that's a really good question. Um, it, the, the debate was kind of going on and on through this last year. Uh, you know, as Chase Young racked up more and more stats, was is he better than the Boses? And right, that was something that's like, you can you even go there because the Boses were so good? And you know, it's not like we forgot about them; they were recent. So uh, I was one of the last ones, kind of standing firm, saying, "Yeah, I don't think Chase is necessarily better than the Boses." Uh, I don't think he got schemed for until the end of the season like the Bosa's did uh, as a pure pass rusher. But I, the short answer is they're all really, really close. I think Chase is faster. Right. Chase is faster than either of the two Bosa's. Um, I think Joey might be more of a pure get-around-the-edge, bull-rushing, you know, speed-rush type of guy. And, and Nick might be the guy with the best arsenal of moves. Um, and also I think Nick Bosa was on his way to a Chase Young type of season before he got injured really early in the season, his junior year. Uh, so, and then you see NFL defensive rookie of the year. Um, so I think, I think Nick Bosa kind of said, Hey, not so fast guys. Look how good I was as NFL, you know, rookie of the year. And I think people could argue close to defensive player of the year. Right. And, um, I see Chase Young kind of as a, a Jadavian Clowney type, a guy that 
may not be the most dominant defensive end in the game, but certainly one that on any given day can just take over a game, be a pro bowler for years to come, maybe even a Hall of Famer. Joey, uh, same thing. You know, when he hits his stride um, and you don't have a plan for him, he's just going to beat you up really bad. So I think I think all three guys, I, I really hate to put put a achievement this high on all three, but if all three guys don't make the Hall of Fame, I would say they probably all underachieved. Wow, that's, yeah, that's a big praise for sure. I think, yeah, I love having Joey Bosa on the Chargers. I, I'm a big fan of his. And, and I, I agree with what you said there about the, the different assessments of the three. Um, you know, Joey now is... I think he's grown as an individual and as a person. I think now us Chargers fans are able to see his kind of dry humor shine out in a way that we were not used to when he first got drafted into the league. Um, Do you remember any kind of stories when he was around at Ohio State of him as like a person of maybe as a leader or other kind of social uh, situations? You know, he is, like you said, It's he's he's not the most outspoken. He's not the guy you're going to see in the huddle, right, that just is screaming at people. We kind of had JT Barrett in that role. But uh, it, it, it was kind of just lead by example and lead by his play on the field. I think there's a funny story about him uh, being recruited by Nick Saban and him talking about Nick Saban has a button in his desk that opens and shuts his office door. And uh, the th- the cool thing about Joey was in-, in that was he he never really got his blood pressure elevated. It looked like right, like you see his sack celebration is this is the shrug, right? It's, it's always been the shrug. Well, that's it's just kind of him, like Mister Steady Eddie. Yeah, I just blew past your entire offensive line and sacked the quarterback again. Um, and right. uh, I think. One one little point of humor in I think it was a 2015 Michigan Ohio State game, Joey makes uh he had a great game. He had an interception. He batted a ball and intercepted it and took it back quite a ways. And uh, at one point he sacked the quarterback so hard he like separated his shoulder, and knocked him out of the game. And I think Joe, Joey tweeted a picture of the quarterback laying on the ground after the game and just said, "Sorry, Jake." <laughs> so, and and I think I this, yeah I think the story was that those two were actually friends so that's kind of you know the player he was and I also wanted to throw this back at you I missed when you uh, were asking about what kind of players they all were uh, one thing that I always pointed to was Joey and Nick were both really really good in the run game and I'm sure you see that at San Diego he's more than just a pass rusher so right. much so Joey, you know, at Ohio State, he had 26 sacks. But this is why I always pointed to that said, man, I don't know that I can just call Chase Young better than him because he's got a bunch of sacks. Joey ended his career with 51 tackles for loss in three years. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Yeah, 51 tackles for loss. And, you know, as a freshman, you're only going to get to play so much. He had 13 and a half tackles for loss as a freshman, 21 and a half as a sophomore. Uh, uh, so, you know, and 51 overall. So he's a very well-rounded defensive end, as you know. Yeah. I, you know, I think that's been one of the the underrated aspects of his game in the NFL is he's, he's such a good disruptive force in setting the edge uh, for the Chargers. So um, that'll do it for me. I, I'm, I don't have any further questions. I think that was a lot of good discussion on KJ Hill and Joey Bosa. So I thank you, Johnny, so much for coming on. And uh, make sure, Chargers fans, if you are an, an Ohio State fan as well, make sure you check out Johnny and the Scarlet and Great podcast. So, Johnny, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, you're welcome, man. Thanks for having me, and uh, good luck to your Chargers. You got an absolute steal with KJ that late in the in the draft. So, good luck to all you guys out there, and uh, hope to see them doing well on the field. All right, so my main takeaway from that one isn't just about K.J. Hill, and it was a great interview about, um, about K.J. Hill and, his, and what his legacy is at Ohio State, but it's about this draft class overall because the Chargers seem to have found players that overachieve, like what, say what you will about Justin Herbert, but I feel like given the situation when they walked into the building when they were freshmen or whenever they joined, they overachieved immediately. You know, We talked to Yogi Roth, who covers the Pac-12 Network, 
And he says, you know, when he, when Justin Herbert came in as a freshman, no one really knew much about him. You know, Stephen, you told me he wasn't even supposed to talk to the media at that point because he was such a relative unknown. He ends up winning the starting job. You know, then you go to Kenneth Murray, a guy who wasn't a big-time recruit, who wasn't supposed to start. He walks on, starts all three years. And then now you have K.J. Hill, and in the interview, you can, you know, what you just heard, you know, this is a guy that was essentially made fun of in the wide receiver room for his lack of athleticism. And this guy ends up breaking records at Ohio State. So I, it's just a really cool insight to this entire draft class. You know, I'm sure if you talk to guys about, you know, Kelly and Gilman and whatnot, you would find that they're also guys that just seem ready to go and have overachieved. So I think that's pretty cool. Well, Kelly started off at uh, UC Davis before making his way over to UCLA. And so that's already a, that's a big step up from, you know, not a lot of teams believing in you and then you starting off at this small school and then building your way up. Um, and that seems to be the success story that teams are looking for more, even with the number one pick a couple of years ago in Baker Mayfield. So it's it's that heart that I feel like teams are starting to take more notice of. Um Kind of like an old school vibe to it, you know, where they these guys are quote unquote blue collar almost. Yeah, well, and then you also have Alohi Gilman, who was originally at Navy and then transferred to Notre Dame. So, you know, I hadn't made that connection, Tyler, of all six draft players who were just kind of un, unheralded players, so, so to speak. But I, th- I was really impressed with the story of KJ Hill because, like you mentioned, you know, he's not the best athlete and he's not known for his speed and Ohio state has had so many guys around him. Even this past year, Benjamin Victor, we talked about several times is, is a really freak athlete an explosive leaper who was a pretty good basketball player himself. And, and then you have KJ Hill, who's more of like just an undersized route runner separator guy. But I mean, we all know that Ohio state has had some crazy receivers run through that school and, and particularly under urban Meyer and Ryan, uh, Ryan day. So, you know, the fact that, KJ Hill was able to go out there and break every single, well, not every single, but he was able to to get the most catches in program history. Just speaks to the kind of player that he is and the kind of impact that he uh, made at Ohio State. You know who KJ Hill actually reminds me of, even when listening to people talk about him from Ohio State, is uh, Artavis Scott out of Clemson. Um, and, you know, that's not a bad thing. I know Artavis Scott was undrafted, and I know he hasn't made an impact in the NFL yet, but he's a good football player that just could not stay healthy. And so I'm not going to be mad at all if the Chargers get a similar player in K.J. Hill, which I think K.J. Hill is a little more refined. Um, but I think that I, there's a lot of similarities in their game, I feel. I think K.J. Hill has better hands. He attacks the ball better, but a lot of similarities there. And just in how people talk about them, the kind of player they are, they're both reception leaders for the program. I think Artavis Scott was the reception leader in history for Clemson, wasn't he? Um, and then you got KJ Hill coming in now and they're, they're similar styles. It's just Artavis Scott couldn't stay healthy. He was showing that he, he had a place on the roster if health permitted him to do so. Um, and I remember we were all really shocked last off season when he didn't make it after the preseason he put up. Uh, and it turned out that there was an injury that side, sidelined him, which is why he didn't. So for the second year in a row. So that's unfortunate. But KJ Hill stepping in, and I'm excited to see what he brings to the table, especially with Keenan Allen mentoring him. Yeah, and one thing that Johnny actually mentioned to me after I hung up with him is that uh, in 2018, they actually put KJ Hill back at punt returner because he – it just has such sure hands and he's never going to drop the ball. And that was a big issue that they had in 2018. So they just kind of knew like, you know, we'll put KJ back there and he's not like the shiftiest or or fastest guy, but he's not going to drop the ball and he's not going to fumble the ball and put us in a bad, in a bad spot. So, you know, just showing his reliability and the things that he can do as a football player overall was just really impressive to hear from, from Johnny and someone who has, you know, been covering him for the last few years, ever since he, he was able to come on. Uh, to Ohio State as a freshman. That reminds me of uh, Keenan's rookie year when the team was having a lot of problems with returns. And so they put Keenan in there, maybe even his sophomore year too. I don't know, his second year in the NFL. Um, And they had put Keenan back there a few times because of all the drops and miscommunications they had. And they're just like, Keenan, go back there and catch it, fair catch it. And I remember after the, like at the late end of that season, everybody's like, stop, get him out. Nobody <laughs> put him in a bone return. Yeah. Uh, we'll take, we'll take the fumbles. Just don't have them in there. And like every time Keenan got tackled on punt return, we were just like, Ugh, stop. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm confident that KJ Hill can come in and, and have a role for him. You know, this team needs someone that can actually be a threat as a wide receiver three. You know, I think Andre Patton, I think he has value as a blocker, but this team really needs someone to step up and say, you know what, I, I'm going to be this compliment to Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, and I think KJ Hill can do that. Um, I just hope that he comes in day one, whenever training camp or whatever happens, and it, it just is a sponge to Keenan Allen because, you know, Keenan Allen is the best player for KJ Hill to learn from. You know, just soak up all those route running techniques, the savviness that Keenan Allen plays with, and, and just be an open book and learn and grow as a rookie and then continue that momentum into the season. I think that th- this situation for KJ Hill is perfect. You know, I, I know that he was probably disappointed in going in the seventh round, and I talked about that with Johnny, but I think he landed in the perfect situation in LA where he can not have a lot of stress and pressure to produce right away and be able to learn from a guy like Keenan Allen is is a really good spot for him. Yeah, absolutely. He's in a great spot. I mean, can you imagine being drafted in the seventh round, but you still have a, a clear and dead shot at the wide receiver three role? Like you're going to have a role this season, probably even as a seventh round pick. That's pretty cool. I'll still stand by it. KJ Hill should have been a third round pick. It's just when you watch the tape and you watch what he brings to the table, it's just like, I feel like teams really don't value. And we saw this last um Last offseason with Johnson out of uh, Fresno State. Uh, losing his first name right now. Keyshawn. Uh, Keyshawn Johnson out of Fresno State. I loved his tape. And he was taken in the seventh round. And um, not as refined as K.J. Hill by any means, but it's just another case of like a separator, but limited physically. And uh, teams aren't taking him early just because of that physical limitation. But you look at some of the best receivers in the league, like Adam Thielen and Keenan Allen, they're not they're not these physical like they don't dominate due to their just raw talent it's it's all about what they've learned and what they've accomplished in the route running category and um some of the best receivers in in today's nfl are the same way man julian edelman is up there uh the quote-unquote hall of fame receiver oh, um you guys remember that conversation yeah. over calvin johnson julian edelman better than calvin johnson that was a that was a fun time on twitter but I'm um, really excited for this receiving core as a whole. Um, and I would like to see KJ Hill take over that slot role a little bit more than people are maybe picturing him. I know some people are believing that he doesn't have as much of a shot as wide receiver three because Reed would be a more ideal um, outside receiver. And Keenan is the quote-unquote slot receiver for the Chargers. And I just kind of want to remind people a little bit about that 2015 season where Keenan Allen was not a slot receiver. He was a, I can line up wherever I want receiver. And um, that was on pace to be the best receiving season from a receiver like ever, like in terms of receptions and yards would have even been up there in the 1700s. So his touchdown numbers have never been too high because Rivers loves his uh, tall guys or his tight ends in the, in the red zone. So we'll see how that changes with Tyrod Taylor and Herbert. Um, but man, you could move Keenan around from outside to slot. Um, they played him even at running back some games uh, for some s- snaps uh, that season, and they would check it down to him or whatever such. And man, you move Keenan Allen around. You have KJ Hill playing the slot. Joe Reed rotate in at outside receiver. That's where. That's what we have been missing on the Chargers. Um, what we've been missing watching these games is we've gotten so used to Keenan Allen playing in the slot here that we're forgetting he, yeah, he can do anything. And I would honestly say that I think he's a better outside receiver than his slot receiver. And he's a great slot receiver, but you know, when you give him that versatility at his disposal, that's, that's where we see him in his prime. And so I'm excited to see more options this year. I'm excited to see him move around and do more of what took him to the next level in 2015. All right, so let's talk about, I mean, obviously we already are, but let's talk about Keenan Allen and that upcoming contract situation because it sparked a lot of interesting discussion on Twitter. I thought Chargers Twitter would be more, I mean, I think, listen, I think pretty much every Chargers fan at worst has Keenan Allen as a top, or excuse me, yes, it's like the third best player on the Chargers roster, maybe Hayward and Bosa. Otherwise, it's, it's Allen should be in the top three somewhere. But... A lot of people have been discussing whether the team should keep him or not, which I think is 
Interesting. And so let's let's get into Blasphemy that. Blasphemy is what it is. At, <laughs> it, no, seriously, I, I do think it is. But let's let's kind of just paint a picture a little bit here. Let me talk about the free agents because, again, they do have to pay a lot of people next year, but they also have a lot of money. So let's talk about that. So in 2021, they have Ingram, Allen, Henry, Pouncey, Bosa, Perryman, Taylor, Davis, Lamp, Feeney, Jenkins, King, Tebby Long, and Badgley. But in reality, honestly, to me, that just, just eliminates some players. Looks like Ingram, Allen, Bosa... Feeney, Jenkins, King, Long, Badgley. They currently have $96 million in cap space. Let's say you go crazy and you and you pay Bosa, Allen, and Ingram $70 million total next season per year. Whatever. Let's just say that, you know, 25-25 and That's and probably where it's going to be. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think... I mean, Bosa is obviously going to get the biggest contract. Mm-hmm. Allen probably next, unless they want to pay Ingram a crazy amount, but for only like one year. What do we but think Bosa is going to get? I think he could get really close to 30, but we'll see. Oh, because man. He, he's a, if you look at like spot rack, he's above every other player who's getting 25-something in every category. The only category he's not any better than average in is his amount of games played. And I think that'll come in, that'll come into play for sure. But otherwise, I mean, you guys... Anyway, that's, that's Bosa. We'll figure out when he gets there. <laughs> he's going to get paid. Anywho... Right. If you pay those guys $70 million and you have 96, and yeah, of course, you have to take into account you know rookie contracts, and apparently they're picking first overall, so they have spent a lot of money on rookie contracts next season. Um, but still, they have you know $26 million. And who are, you, who are you really keeping? I think of the group that they have, if you've already paid Ingram, Allen, and Bosa, I really think the only absolute must sign, must re-sign, and even then you can make the case it isn't, is Feeney, just because he's dominated that spot for such a long time now. You know, I think Jenkins, you could see him being re-signed because, you know, they're moving to a two-safety look and they love Jenkins. So even though Adderley's behind him and he is irreplace- he's replaceable in that regard, they, if they play two safety spots, Jenkins is going to be back there. King, I don't know. He might already be replaceable at this point. And then Ty Long and Michael Badgley, we love him. But, I mean, have they done anything that warrants them being a must re-sign so far? I think Long has. I think has. it's too early. I think Long has. I don't know that Badgley has. Long last year, versatility is such a good thing for a punter or a kicker. And the fact that Ty Long was able to do that and even played through an injury, and that's a big like plus for the Chargers. Um, and you know Anthony Lynn loves his guys that will play through an injury. So that's that's why they value Keenan Allen as much as they do as well, is because Keenan Allen, he's been injured probably three times since 2016 and he still played 16 games every season he's like nah i'm playing and um might not be prime allen like we saw in chicago but similar to deal with ty long here um he he was injured he injured his foot as a kicker as a punter and he, he was good to go so that's a big plus for ty long and also that versatility of him kicking and punting uh so i think i think he's a safe bet um and Badgley is a little more questionable, but I would say absolutely because you. I think the Chargers <laughs> understand by now. Um, yeah, that kickers are not, they don't grow on trees, man. So they, they lucked out when they found Badgley. And so I, I think, I think punter and kicker are safe because special teams has already had such a turnover. I don't think they want to continue this trend. So I think those guys are 100%. King depends a lot on this year, more than anybody else, more than anybody else. Um, like if Bosa gets hurt hurt this year, I'm still putting, I'm still putting money down that the Chargers are going to resign him some in some way or shape or form. Um, but for for him, I, I I just King it depends, man. It depends a lot on this season, and um, not just so much injury. Like like for example, if he like even tweaks his hamstring hamstring in a training camp and misses the preseason in like two games, that's already like strike one. And so it's, it's going to be hard to understand what King I'm having trouble even like predicting it right now. Cause I just have no clue. Yeah. It, it would just depend on, on what version of Desmond King are you getting? Are you getting someone in the middle of 2018 and 2019? Are you getting 2019 or getting 2018? So Desmond King obviously is definitely the one that depends the most, but I think pretty comfortably you you want to bring Joey Bosa, Keenan Allen, and Melvin Ingram back. 
You know, I, I know a lot of Chargers fans have have asked the three of us, "Well, would you trade Melvin Ingram?" And it's like, no. You the the thing I don't understand is like you want to have good players, you want to keep your players around that you develop, that you draft and develop, and you, and you watch them grow into Pro Bowl and All Pro level players, and the, that's those three. You want to keep these three players around. Um, getting back to the Keenan Allen thing for a minute, I think he at minimum is going to be at alert, worth at least 18 or 19 million dollars. Like that's probably the the arguably like the worst case scenario for financial purposes is from Keenan Allen's perspective is 18 million dollars. And I think he's absolutely worth that. I you know, I answered on Jason's poll that he put up that he's untradeable for me. I want Keenan Allen around, especially with a young quarterback. You know, Philip Rivers around, maybe that would change a little bit. I doubt it, but I want Justin Herbert to have the best player on the team back with him and to keep being that best player for Justin Herbert. Like it makes no sense to me why you would ship off the best player on the offense right as you're shifting into Justin Her- into Justin Herbert's era. Like why would you do that? That makes no sense to me at all why you would want to say, all right, we've had this amazing receiver for the last five years. All right, bye. Right as we're shifting to a, a new quarterback. That makes no sense to me at all. Yeah, that's kind of the thing I've been talking about as well. Like you have Herbert that is your rookie quarterback with questions. And that's the big thing here with questions. You got to add that on there. Um, If you have a a quarterback with questions, you don't get rid of the confidence boost. And that's another thing that Keenan Allen will bring. He creates separation like that. You take an easy shot at that slant and it's an easy completion. Boom, confidence goes up. Say that's his first. Say that's Justin Herbert's first pass attempt, which I think it will be. Is Justin Herbert's first pass attempt will be either a check down to Eckler or like a simple slant or dig to Keenan Allen, and that's step one of getting your quarterback into a, a more comfortable position for the future. Just get him baby steps, you know. And Keenan Allen is going to be the perfect receiver to bolster Herbert's confidence and also to develop a chemistry with. Otherwise, you run into like a Mitch Trubisky or like a, a Josh Rosen where those guys don't have the weapons that, that they needed to develop and their confidence is just shot. Like Josh Rosen with the Cardinals, like, yeah, he had Larry Fitzgerald. And like it, it basically that's all he threw to was Larry Fitzgerald and it was ugly, right? And Larry Fitzgerald at this point of his career was is not like a receiver one. He's more like a slot guy, a receiver three. Um, still an amazing receiver, by the way. But it's like, do you really want Justin Herbert to be throwing to KJ Hill and Mike Williams? Do you want KJ Hill to be Justin Herbert's leading receiver? Is is the thing here because Mike Williams is not going to get more receptions than KJ Hill. Uh, he just doesn't separate as well, so it's it's just going to be the outcome of it. Now. There has been talk from from people that KJ Hill or Joe Reed would be the the Keenan Allen replacement. Um, I just uh, I don't. I kind of went into this, and I I said this like three weeks ago to Tyler and Steven. I was like, I think I I told them on Messenger. I was like, guys, I think. Uh, Allen is a little underappreciated. And they were like, nah, like 98% of Chargers understands that Keenan Allen is the guy on this offense. And then I started running these polls or asking people on Twitter. And now there's almost like a doubt out there. Like we, we kind of stopped and we're like, wait, what? Like, hold on, hold on one second. And I just don't think, I think people understand. I think Chargers fans understand and this isn't a shot at Chargers fans by any means. I think they understand that Keenan Allen is good. I don't think they understand the gap between a guy like Keenan Allen and a guy like Mike Williams. I don't think it's understood like how good Keenan Allen is. Like people are like, yeah, he's a, he's a good receiver. It's I know Mike Williams makes the flashy plays, but Man, guys, I I can't. It's hard to describe with words. Like I almost have to show you. But Keenan Allen, the gap between a separator like him and even a guy like um, you go and watch. 
like any any Niners receivers. Like Debo Samuel is the hot topic now. Um, everybody's trying to find their new Debo Samuel with Joe Reed going to the Chargers, such like that. The gap between Keenan Allen and Debo Samuel or KJ Hill or even AJ Brown in Tennessee, who is another another big one, is huge. It's huge. It's like watch Joey Bosa versus Yannick Ngakwe, and that's what you're talking about right now. Like, sure, Yannick Ngakwe is good. He's not Bosa good, right? And it's kind of the same way like when people are talking about Mike Williams or Keenan Allen, such like that. Mike Williams is good. He's not what he's not near. And I don't like I don't like the not even close thing that I always say. I always end up saying it, but I hate it. <laughs> so I'm gonna change it up. I'm gonna go, it's not near. Mike Williams production and value to the team is not near the value that Keenan Allen brings to the team. So just because Mike Williams had a one thousand yard season does not mean that his value is on par with Keenan Allen's. Juju Smith Schuster put up a one thousand yard season or pretty close to it. I think it was like 900-yard season when Antonio Brown was on the team, okay? Now, I know Antonio Brown has kind of fallen from grace, but Juju Smith-Schuster was not near the player that Antonio Brown was, right? And imagine how much better Mason Rudolph, not the best quarterback in the world, but or even in Pittsburgh, but <laughs> imagine how much better that would have gone if Antonio Brown was on the football team than just Juju, who would get locked down every game now that he was wide receiver one, right? When Antonio Brown was around, Juju was going against CB2s and CB3s. Antonio Brown left, and Juju was getting locked up in key moments, key games. And it was a lot on Deontay Johnson's play, and they had to go and get Chase Claypool and a couple other guys. So it's like, understand when you get rid of your wide receiver one who makes it look as easy as Keenan Allen does to separate from these great corners, you're giving up not only your wide receiver one, you're messing up your wide receiver two, and now you're putting more pressure on wide receiver three. And then your quarterback, your young quarterback, ends up like Mason Rudolph, where now it's like, thank God Big Ben is back because that was the worst year ever. And so our undrafted Easton Stick or Duck Hodges becomes the becomes the next guy in line because this guy sucks. Don't be that team, okay? That's the that's the thing I'm trying to say here is don't be Pittsburgh, where they were kind of forced into it with letting Antonio Brown go. But that's the best example I can think of here, where you let your receiver one go and everything goes to crap. That's that's what we're looking at here. Yeah, I think I think just in general, football fans. There's like this obsession of having a multitude of picks. Like that's what this conversation all started about is would you trade Keenan Allen? And it's like, well, this is maybe a poor example, but would you rather have Khalil Mack or would you rather have Josh Jacobs and Damon Arnett, <laughs> who the Raiders picked with the picks that they got from Khalil Mack? This is rhetorical, right? <laughs> you can answer it if you want to, but the answer is you'd rather have Khalil Mack. Like, I would rather have Khalil Mack, yes. <laughs> like you want to keep your elite players around and that's what Keenan Allen is. And, and then... I put up a poll on, on our podcast account and, and I had several people respond to me, oh, Keenan Allen's a top five receiver, top six, top seven, whatever. You want to keep those players around. And you can go to the Giants situation with Odo Beckham Jr., who you know, I'm not the biggest fan of him. I think he's kind of fallen off, but he's still very talented. He's still a very good receiver in this league. Would you rather, if you're the Giants, would you rather have him or would you rather have Jabril Peppers and picks like you want to keep your better players around, especially when you have a young quarterback like Justin Herbert is going to come into this situation and you want your team to have as best a cast around him as possible you also, want to give him. Go ahead. Also, just to be clear here, there has never been a character concern with Keenan Allen on the Chargers. There's never been a big deal. He's never gotten into any trouble. He's been loyal to the team and the team has been loyal to him. I it's not even like people I people have brought that up where like well the Giants got rid of Beckham and Texans got rid of Hopkins. Well, there was it was known that Bill O'Brien and Hopkins didn't get along too well or that Bill O'Brien and Watson didn't get along too well. 
Like people know at this point that Bill O'Brien's kind of a joke. Um, <laughs> but Allen, like other than that poor pylon, has no beef with the Chargers at all. Like there was that one pylon, bless its soul. But <laughs> it's other than that, he's been fine. No, he's been he's been exactly what you want out of a star player, and that's like you. Again, I don't understand the team building philosophy of you want to trade for picks. Like, let's let's hypothetically say the Chargers do trade Keenan Allen for a first round pick next year, and it ends up being in the teens, and they're like, "Oh, well, let's just draft Keenan Allen's replacement." It's like, no, you want Keenan Allen. You want to have the actual player. I, I know this is hypothetical, but who is he traded to? Uh, oh, I don't, I don't know, man. Like. Let's say you trade him to the Jets or something. Then I'm a Jets fan. <laughs> the Jets know how to run an organization. I, I joke, but I would I would consider it for like a couple weeks, and then I would just cry, and then I'd figure it out. It'd be okay. Keenan Allen is exactly what you what you want for Justin Herbert is is the bottom line here, you know. And a lot of people have said, well, he he wouldn't fit with Justin Herbert. That Mike Williams would be better for Justin Herbert, and it's like. You want the guy that is always open, and even in the in the interview with KJ Hill that I had with Johnny Lunsford today, it's like KJ Hill's he gets open. Who cares how fast he runs? He's open, and there's always going to be a place for people like KJ Hill and Keenan Allen in the league because they always get open. And that's the other thing, you know, Keenan Allen. Yeah, he's he's approaching thirty years old. Who cares? He's never been a freak athlete who needs to be. Uh, going for jump balls or, or run a four fours flat or something like that. Like he's always been a route running technician and that's going to keep him playing in the league for a really long time. You know, I don't know if he'll be around as long as Larry Fitzgerald, but you know, he can stay around just like Larry has as long as he wants to. And as long as Keenan Allen wants to play football, he should be in Los Angeles playing for the chargers. Yeah. That's another thing. Stop thinking about picks and team building for one second. It's still a bad idea if you take those things into account, but let's let's just push him aside. He's a Charger. He was drafted a Charger, and he's given everything to the Chargers. I'm tired of the move on and get picks mentality from teams. If you draft an elite player, keep him. A, a, a loyal elite player. Like I want to be able to wear a Keenan Allen jersey in 10 years and saying this man retired a charger you know and even lt as long as he was a charger the the last couple of years on the jets where he was on the jets for the last couple that sucked that sucked it's just like it doesn't matter if he's not as good as he used to be it's like i just i want that player on the chargers and um you know you put you put all that aside for one second and you just think would i be okay with seeing keenan allen play for the cleveland browns or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and it's a pretty easy no. I, I wouldn't be okay with it. It'd be one of those, he's one of the few players on the team right now where it'd probably sting the most, seeing him put on another jersey. Just like, you know, you already lost Phillip Rivers to the Colts, and I just, I don't want to see more players that are good leave the team. Um, I know Rivers was kind of regressing a little bit, but, you know, it still hurt us to see him go. Like, even though they, they had to pull the trigger because it is such an important position at quarterback. Um, so it's a, it's a little bit different of a story. But, you know, at the end of the day, you want to see players stay as a charger for as long as possible. You know, you want to see the team stay loyal to these players and the players stay loyal to the team. I know sometimes they mutually part ways, but, man, I just I'm not okay with it. I don't like this conversation even. <laughs> I don't like the conversation of trading Keenan Allen. It's it's a weird one. I didn't even know that half of Chargers Twitter thought, yeah, I would trade him. Half. Over half, guys. I think it was 46% that said that he was untradeable. That's crazy. Well, I don't think, I mean, listen, I don't think anyone, I mean, you give me 10 first-round picks, I mean, what are you going to do? I'm not saying that's, but realistically, he's untradeable. Allen, okay. Well, if you if you gave me three first round picks, maybe. I don't know though. But you're still getting into the Khalil Mack territory. Yeah, man. that's a yeah. that's a tough. You one, still man. are. Yeah, like Stephon Diggs, he got traded for a first round pick, a fifth, and a sixth. Like, that's, that's not probably enough. what. That's mm-hmm. not enough for Keenan Allen, but that's probably like the kind of package that they're getting. Like, as much as I love Keenan Allen, 
you know, people aren't trading multiple firsts for even DeAndre Hopkins going to get a single first. Brian's the worst GM in the league. <sighs> but, you know, wide receivers aren't going for multiple first round picks. So if you're getting like a first, a third, and a sixth, that's probably like the best case trade package that you could get for Keenan Allen. I want to fix my earlier statement. If the Jets traded for Keenan Allen and didn't give up a first, then I would be a Jets fan. (laughs) (laughs) How many Texans fans are Cardinals fans now? Like, screw this. I give up. (laughs) Oh, yeah. What is the sentiment like in Texas right now about their Mr. O'Brien? Oh, dude, I don't know. Oh, okay. Okay, okay, okay. No, Allen is... Listen, I think at the end of the day, Bosa is the priority number one to re-sign or extend. But Allen is the safest bet for a player you could retain as anybody on this roster or in the league. To be, I mean, I know, I know he had his freak, what was it, lacerated kidney or whatever. You know, I know he had his ACL freak ACL so tear. But other than that, ever since they they extended him coming off of his eight game absence from from his kidney laceration or whatever it was, you know, they've been so devoted to him. And ever since he came back from his, it was it was kidney then ACL, right? Ever since he came back from his ACL, I mean, 16 games, 16 games, 16 games. Yeah, he's, like, been banged up a little bit. But otherwise, he, you know, puts on his helmet and gets back out there. I mean, he's so tough. And everyone is saying, you know, maybe he's approaching 30. I mean, technically, yeah, he is approaching 30. He'll be, well, according to my Wikipedia search, he'll be 28 this year. And he'll play the entire 2021 season at 29 years old. It's not like he's, you know, this contract is going to keep him until he's, you know, 38. And he's, he's 34 right now. No, if you extend him for... Let's say three years. I think that's what Julio Jones got. Granted, he was older. You know, he'll be 29. Was he'll that? be 31, right? He'll be 31 on, yeah. a, th- on a three-year yeah. so, extension, right? I mean, Alan, you go 29, 30, 31. Perfect. You know, and at that point, uh, let's see, that'd be four years plus Herbert's extension. I mean, not extension, but his fifth-year contract. I don't know. We'll see. The, I guess the one thing I wanted to talk about, though, is what does Alan's length of contract look like here because does he take you look at justin herbert does he bet on just taking getting two different contracts maybe one for three years and another for another three years or what because i think he's i don't think he's going to get like the what five-year deal amari cooper got you know i don't think he's going to get i think he could that'd be great in my opinion he already got he already got the the long-term quote-unquote deal with a four-year extension he had um, after the 2015 season, that was kind of his, um, which was everybody thought was expensive at the time, but um, is now not even close. And that's kind of the, that's kind of the thing I've also talked about is, if say they do pay him 22 million a year, by the time Herbert's extent extension comes up or Herbert's next contract comes comes up, 22 million is not going to be that expensive. You're going to see a lot bigger contracts out there. Um, so it's like. I think he's in a good spot if because right now he's got four years to just chill until Herbert gets his extension, assuming Herbert gets an extension. Um, and at that point, his contract will be cheap compared to what the market gets. And then him and Herbert can kind of stick around together, you know, and it, I don't think he'll make like a big contract in a second contract. So I think he'll probably just say, um, pay me the max right now, you know, four or five years and then reassess down the line. I mean, he could work for two contracts, like try to play that scenario out. But um, once you hit like the 31, 32-year-old mark, then your contract starts going down, like your value starts going down. And you just have to understand that you're that you're this team's homegrown talent. And um, that, that's typically how it works. But, you know, with how old was Julio when he got his contract extension? Was he 29, 30? I think I think he was 30 when he got the extension. So it's like, I think 30 is like the cutoff for a receiver when you can get that big deal. Um, so I think at 31, 32, which I would expect is when the contract would end if it was a three, four-year deal, I don't think it would be much of a difference than if it was a five-year deal, honestly. I think it actually might be better for him if it was a five-year deal. Um, the only way he could kind of fit two into there is I think if he took like a two-year deal and then he could maybe like get one last four-year deal for... Uh, max amount but i i doubt it i I think it's probably a a four or five year deal yeah i could see him doing like a two for 45 type deal but 
I, from a Keenan Allen perspective, I would be aiming for at least a three-year deal. Um, you know, you want that security and, and have that stability with your, for your family and, and stuff like that. But, you know, like I, I mentioned, I, I think the best case from the Chargers from a financial standpoint is that he, you can get him for $18 million. I think it's probably somewhere like 21, 22. Um, obviously, we'll see. But, you know, Keenan Allen should remain a Charger as long as he wants to play football. And, and that's the bottom line for me. Yeah, I mean, do you listen? First of all, he deserves to get paid because I think he makes like two hundred fifty thousand dollars more a year than Tyrell Williams, which is a travesty. <laughs> are you serious? Yeah, it's like, it's. <laughs> oh I my mean, God. obviously the contracts are different. Yeah. <laughs> when you put it like that, that is just insane. No, it's like it was so, like they both make eleven million something or whatever on average. I mean, it's just like you got to be you got to be uh, kidding me. But oh my god! At the end of the day, you don't let the guy who's going to be the greatest receiver in Chargers history walk out of your door at 29 years old. I hope not. I know people bring up the Spanos thing, whatever. There's no there's no way he's getting out of this building. Well, whatever building they end up playing in. And he's going to be here for a while. So I think we're all pretty much on the same page. The only thing I want to talk about moving forward now are the guys around him. I think we already talked about KJ Hill and him replacing Keenan Allen, I can't believe that was ever brought up. And listen, I'm not knocking KJ Hill, but you don't, like, I just don't see how the seventh round rookie is going to come in and then after one year he's going to replace, like I said, the greatest receiver in Chargers history, which is, listen, maybe, no, there's no way they do this, right? And then what else? Mike Williams, that's the big one. Do they pay Mike Williams in 2022? I guess I should have read up on this. Uh, it could be 2021 it, as well, wouldn't it? 17, 18, 19, 20, 20, 2020. Oh, it would be... No, he, yeah, he's playing in 2021, right? He signed under through 2021. Didn't they pick mm-hmm. up his option? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Yeah, so... So, that's the thing with Mike Williams. Like, you know, Jason and I have had this conversation a bunch with other people. It's like, what, what Mike Williams does right now is replaceable, much more so than what Keenan Allen does. That being said, if you know, we've seen Mike Williams just be on this slow progression where every single year he gets a little bit better, a little more comfortable. Um, and sometimes that's the case. Sometimes it takes guys time to, to develop and ultimately pop. Like we saw that with Devontae Parker, who was ended up being fourth in the league in yards last year among receivers, which is just crazy. Um, Devontae Parker better than Mike Thomas. Well, you can die on that hill. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I I'm hoping Jason is making a joke from from Michael Thomas's Instagram today, but yeah, I am. Okay, I good. Am. <laughs> Devontae Parker gotcha. is not better than Michael Thomas. I think it's closer than people think, but no, definitely not. Yeah, so yeah, that was Michael Thomas is a character for sure. Um, but you know, sometimes it just takes guys time to develop, and and that's been the case for Mike Williams. You know, in 2018, we saw that the touchdowns come in a big way. Last year, he finally had his 1,000 yard receiving. Uh, season, but the touchdowns kind of regressed. So, you know, if Mike Williams can maybe get like 1,100 yards and like five or six touchdowns, I think that'll be a good step in in the right direction. Um, he just needs to develop more as a route runner before I'm comfortable paying him like a long term big money contract. You know, I, I I I was telling I was talking about this with with Brooke the other day. It's like Mike Williams is one of my favorite Chargers because I know he's going to come out. And just lay it all on the line every single game. The way he goes up and gets the ball is just amazing. But as a pure receiver, he needs a lot of work still. And and that's that's the argument for me. Is Mike Williams the emotional connection to watching this guy just lay it all on the line every single game? Or the Mike Williams who kind of needs some work as a route runner, who's not as good as a blocker as Keenan Allen in other instances as well. So... There's definitely an argument for not bringing Mike Williams back, and there's definitely an argument for bringing him back. You know, so it's I need to see more is what I'm trying to say before I'm comfortable bringing him back long term and you know paying him you know top end receiver money. Which you know he's a wide receiver too. So if he makes if he is signing a wide receiver two contract, then sure. But if he's heading into free agency thinking I'm going to be making. Tyro Williams money, then it's going to be another Tyro Tyro Williams situation where it's like, okay, bye-bye, go have fun in Oakland. So I need to see more before I'm comfortable for a long-term contract out of Mike Williams. 
Please don't go to Oakland. <laughs> well, Las Vegas now. Oh my God, I forgot. <laughs> what do you do if you have a guy like Mike Williams who can? I mean, listen, the difference in their receptions is what sixty or fifty, whatever it was, between Allen and right. Williams. But otherwise, touchdowns kind of similar. The yards are kind of similar. If you have a guy who takes another step forward, and listen, do any would any of us think Mike Williams is a better receiver than Allen? Probably not in, in a year or two. But if he takes that next step forward, and he's getting 1,100 yards and six touchdowns, like Steven said, and maybe, you know, let's say 55, 60 receptions, I don't know, maybe less because he's got Justin Herbert, what do you do? Because the guy is, aside from the receptions, he's putting up decent numbers, but would you pay him like Keenan Allen? Like, that's just, like, what do you what do you do in that situation? You can't. Yeah. You, le- you legit can't. And that's kind of the crappy part is like if if he does deserve that big deal they 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 have to let him walk and maybe the team opts to go the younger route with Mike Williams and let Keenan Allen go I doubt it um I don't know I don't know because I mean you could go like a Minnesota Vikings route where you're paying both of your receivers but with Justin Herbert's contract you could do it but then you you're sacrificing in other positions like if you want Keenan Allen and Mike Williams back that means probably Melvin Ingram's gone which wouldn't be the worst thing in the world I think Melvin Ingram is is a little underrated amongst Chargers fans but yeah if you're bringing back Mike Williams at let's say 16 million and Keenan Allen at 21 million you know, you have to sacrifice in other areas. And that's the thing is, you know, I would love to say, yeah, we bring all these guys back. But if you're paying your two best receivers a combined $34, $35 million, like you have to sacrifice in other areas. And that's the bottom line. So with Justin Herbert's contract on a rookie deal, yeah, absolutely. You you, you could make it work. But then your offensive line is going to suffer. Maybe your defensive line is going to suffer. Maybe your secondary suffers a little bit. So it's just some give and take, and you know, thankfully, I am not making that decision because, you know, like I said, emotionally, I want Mike Williams around, but it's just the if I'm paying two receivers top ten top tier money, I want two top tier receivers, and I'm not sure if Mike Williams is a top tier receiver yet. Alrighty, that's it for us today. Thank you, Jason and Stephen, for joining us as always. Where can they find you on social media? Uh, you can follow me at Stephen I Hagland and at GSA Podcast Seventeen. Um, we are doing another Patreon Q and A, which Tyler posted earlier today. Uh, so if you'd want us to address any kind of questions you have about the Chargers, please feel free to post uh, a comment on that link. Um, anyone at the three dollar tier or higher has access to the post and the Q and A. And you can find me at Centauri13 on Twitter, at GAC Podcast 17 on Instagram. And, you know, we just got to thank Roger Goodell for this, <laughs> hey for now. bringing back whoa, the football whoa, season. Whoa. My goodness. <laughs> Roger Dad. All right. <laughs> anyway, thank you to Johnny Lunsford for interviewing with Steven today. This is Tyler. Yes. You can find me at Tyler J. Shoon, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash aware.